Welcome to the EO ESOP podcast. Last week on episode 128, Steve Storkin of the Employee Ownership Expansion Network looked back at the progress EOX has made in 2020 and gave us a glimpse of 2021. There are certainly a lot of exciting developments, and I hope you'll check out episode 128. This week, I thought it would be interesting to go to our archives and bring back episode 91 from November 2019, which featured Steve looking ahead at 2020. He also does a deeper dive on EOX's origin story. I'm sure you'll agree if you listen today and compare it to last week's episode, there is no doubt that EOX has done a wonderful job in the most challenging of years. Today, you'll also hear Steve talking about EOX ambassadors. Last Friday on episode 111 of the ESOP minicast, I discussed whether giving money and time to EO organizations was investment or philanthropy. Please check out the minicast. But I do want to point out as you listen to today's episode, if you're a general EO advocate, support our organizations wherever you find them to help grow the EO sandbox. To ESOP and EO professionals who want to expand their practice or gain traction, I'm telling you, if I were still an ESOP trustee, not only would I become an ambassador, but I'd work hard to help establish a state center if there wasn't one already in place where I live. We're very proud of the approximately 240 episodes in our archives. Please check them out at www.esoppodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support our work, subscribe or follow us and hit the like button whenever you feel we've earned it. Enjoy this episode with Steve Storkin. Welcome to the EO Podcast, where we amplify and celebrate all forms of employee ownership. Hello, my friends. Thanks for listening to the ESOP Podcast. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. And I am so grateful that I am not the only passionate advocate for employee ownership. I meet them all the time. Some are professional advisors who have that extra. They're passionate about growing employee ownership. Certainly many, many people are employee owners themselves who not just go to work at their companies or their factories or their plants or their professional services firm, but they are mindful that employee ownership is what my friend Jason Wellman calls the secret sauce. Today, I'm very happy to bring you a conversation with another passionate advocate for employee ownership. Steve Storkin is the executive director of EOX. He spent 26 years as a professional advisor in eShop space before joining the EOX. And in terms of passionate advocacy, he is the real deal. So without further ado, with great appreciation to Steve Storkin, here's my conversation with him. It's my pleasure to be joined in person with Steve Storkin, the Executive Director of EOX, the Employee Ownership Expansion Network. Steve, how are you? I'm pretty good. That's a mouthful to, to, to get all in there, right? That's why it's EOX. That, that is EOX is so much better. And it's very cool for me to be recording this with you in person because, as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. But Steve, you are as well. I am passionate about employee ownership for sure, and that's what uh, that's what got me here today for sure in my position. So do me a favor, give me the thirty second, one minute description of EOX, but then I want to go back and talk about how you got to be executive director, and then we're going to circle back and talk about some of the really cool stuff that EOX is doing. Is that okay? That sounds good. So uh, EOX uh, has a mission, and the mission uh, is 
to expand employee ownership through the creation and support of state centers across the United States. Uh, it is our goal to have uh, when we're you know by 2025, I think is the is the date that we've set there. But uh, to have 70 percent of the U.S. population covered by a state center, and that includes today's state centers that are already there prior to EOX, plus all the new ones that we're trying to create, uh, just really to have boots on the ground uh, to expand employee ownership. All right, so you have the opportunity really to take a nationwide look at growing employee ownership, but when did you join EOX? Uh, I was hired on January 1st of 2019. Okay, so you are new to this position this year, but you have spent quite a good uh, bit of your life in employee ownership, haven't you? I am. I'm a recovering third-party administrator. <laughs> uh, 26 years in the business. Started uh, right out uh, in a law. I joined a law firm as a legal uh a legal assistant uh, an employee benefits law firm and it, it turned into this TPA career uh, it was my last home was six years at Alaris Financial out of Grand Forks North Dakota I'm a Minnesota boy born and bred uh, lived there my entire life until uh, two years ago when we moved to DC uh, which is a whole other story we don't need to go into but um, yeah employee ownership has been a passion of mine uh, I enjoyed going to work every single day just because uh, as you know as, a, as an advocate for employee ownership uh, it's just a different breed it, it, sometimes people call it a cult you know that's probably a bad word for it but you know just going to work knowing that we're changing people's lives and what ESOPs and employee ownership does I've always been passionate for that uh, Involved in the Minnesota Dakotas chapter of the ESOP Association forever, uh, was the president of that chapter, uh, led their government relations committee prior to that. So just I, I'm all in and always have been. Uh, so when the opportunity came to uh, change careers and go over from the for-profit side to the non-profit side for this mission of expanding employee ownership, which I felt like I was doing anyway as a third-party administrator, doing the ESOP 101 and kind of telling all these business owners, it was just a natural fit to try to put that passion to work in, in a different change. In a different format. And in terms of changing our roles, and I was a trustee for seven years, and actually I started my first foray was two and a half years as the CEO and employee owner at a 100% ESOP. Then I was a trustee. Now I have, you know, focused on the folk, uh, the KESOP group and, and the podcasting, et cetera, et cetera. But we also have a friend, a uh, long time in the field, Victor. Correct. Victor yeah. Aspergren. Uh, who, legend and was with Prairie, I believe. Correct. And he recently left Prairie after a great career, and he also was a former, I think, CEO of an employee-owned company, and now he's back in running an employee-owned company or a subsidiary. Do I Correct. understand? Correct. So it's funny that, that, and Victor, I mention him because like you, like me, and there are a good number of us, but it's just one of those guys who, who I say drank the Kool-Aid, which might be as uh, equally inappropriate. Right. You know, we got to find a better way to say it. But there is a passion to it. And, and for me, employee ownership just feels to be a natural way to address a lot of issues that are important to me. Do you agree? I do. And, you know, AOX, uh, as we go across and, and try to... Uh, work with different organizations outside of, you know, the normal associations or people that we know. Uh, and this nonprofit world is a whole new animal to me. And, and working with foundations and people that I never knew existed, uh, you know, we talk about things with uh, like income inequality, wealth transfer, I mean, all these things that we knew about as practitioners but didn't realize that the rest of the world 
uh, not the rest of the world, but the, a few select people in the world, in the world of philanthropy and nonprofit, know about this. They know about the wealth transfer, and uh, you know what? You know what? The 2.3 million business owners who are owned by businesses who are owned by baby boomers. You have to you have to strike while the iron's hot, and and I think there's no better time to try to expand employee ownership uh, than now because that wealth transfer could go one of two ways, and we just want to have a seat at the table. That's really what EOX is trying to do: is have boots on the ground to get people to know about this, so that when succession planning happens, the word ESOP or employee ownership uh, is at the table for those business owners. We'll circle back. Uh, you said some important stuff about the, the different roles of different organizations. And uh, the podcast is Switzerland. Uh, you know, we are neutral. We support absolutely everybody. And the reality is that when there are some who say we're neutral or, you know, we favor one organization or another, the podcast is even neutral on whether other people should be neutral or not. We do not pick sides, but Steve, the challenge that I think is missed is when Lewis Kelso wrote the second edition of his uh, uh, seminal book that came out in 1996, he referenced in there there, there were 6,600 ESOPs in 1996. NCO did data, which I think is 18 months old or so, but shows there's 6,500. We are stagnant in something that we all agree is very important, solves a lot of problems, and it seems to me that we as a movement ignore one organization or another, all the professional advisors, but we as a movement need to break from the, when you do what you did, you get what you got, and that opens the door for folks like EOX. It's not to take away from other organizations it's to enhance and add more. Correct. And, you know, one, one statistic that I think people uh, don't necessarily get right is that we all know that right now, uh, if we talk about the ESOP world, uh, we are having uh, some of those S-Corp ESOPs that were created in the late 90s, early 2000s that have been so successful. We all know that some of them are going away and that the employee owners are, are making out very well. I mean, the, the, whether we want to say that the mission was achieved or not, I mean, we can we can agree to disagree on that. But, but we're seeing... ESOPs going away from terminations, but we also have to realize that if we didn't add new ones, we'd be going from 6,600 down to 5,500 to 4,000. So, so we do have to add, we do have to make sure that we acknowledge that we are still adding new employee-owned companies. In talking about how EOX came to be, I know that the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership, of which my last firm, Cap Trustees, was one of the founders, is a model and that sort of thing. Tell us how EOX has come about in the last few years. Where did you come from? So EOX started as a task force inside of the NCEO. Uh, Lauren Rogers and a few people uh, had a great idea or came to the realization that uh, if we're going to grow employee ownership and expand employee ownership, uh, state centers can have a role in that. They looked at the, the model that Ohio was doing and, and the amount of employee-owned companies in Ohio, the amount of employee-owned companies in Vermont, you know, the list goes on. But they really looked at that and said, there's got to be something here. No one's ever studied it. Let's study it. And so they studied it and said, you know, well, let's try this. We should try to create more state centers. And so this task force of five or six people, uh, including Lauren, they, they put this together and they created the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership. And uh, the Pennsylvania Center for Employee Ownership has done amazing things. They're in their fourth year, and we can talk about that if you want. But um, 
they have done amazing things for the promotion of employee ownership. Uh, as you and I both know, the, the sales cycle, you can't go and say, well, how many new employee-owned companies have they created? Uh, it's more about how many people have they touched. And, you know, they've just done amazing things. So it was inside the NCEO, and, and that task force decided this is a this is something that can have legs and, and created their own organization. So it became Employee Ownership Expansion Network. Uh, interestingly enough, on July 4th of 2018 in Philadelphia, they incorporated uh, you know, our business colors are red, white, and blue, and there's a reason for that. Uh, it's good for America. It's good for everybody. CEOX was incorporated July 4th. Incorporated July 4th Very uh, cool. in Philadelphia. So. I did not realize that. As you know, Steve, Capital Trustees, my f- former firm, was one of the founding uh, members, founding sponsors, I guess, of, of PACEO. And Kevin, the executive director, has been on a podcast, I think, a couple of times. And we know, I know personally, the value that they've brought. They've done great things with the Pittsburgh City Council in, in setting up a task force to encourage employee ownership. They have done a great job of education and that sort of thing. So the Pennsylvania CEO became the model for what you're doing now? Correct. You're exactly right. Kevin and, and his uh, his group in Pennsylvania, the PA CEO, has had such great success in the model that they've created um, that we have taken that uh, willingly from Kevin. Kevin has provided so many great resources he's for a, He's a great guy he, and a true believer. True believer. Yeah. And, and has been... He has been the help. He was on the task force. He, he really created, with the other people on my board, uh, he created EOX in, in, in its form before it was EOX uh, and was willing to share all of that while he continued to run PACEO. So without the PACEO, there, there's no way that we're, the success we're having today happens. Um, so we're rolling out a lot of the great things that he did, and then we're adding on top of them because uh, in the end, what we want to try to do is Kevin and the PACEO on that task force, they took a lot of time and a lot of effort to make PACEO successful. And what we want to try to do is replicate that so that the state center that we have in North Carolina right now, that they don't have to struggle with all of the organizational documents. And then when we go to Georgia, that we, we want to kind of sp- try to speed up so that they can hit the ground running, boots on the ground way faster and with less uh, work than maybe Kevin had to go through in the PACEO. And it's working It's working marvelously right now. And that's the, the really smart part, and I'm trying to do that with all the different aspects, aspects of what I'm promoting through the podcast, which is activities other people are doing, which is if we have a great idea, and there is, in my view, just so much room for expansion, that if there's a great idea, replicate it, get it out there, and have others build on what you're doing, and that leads to advocacy and other stuff. Let's talk about North Carolina for just a moment. Uh, recently opened, uh, just in the last couple of months. So uh, I, I always forget the date, but sometime around uh, the early June, uh, North Carolina became our first uh, EOX state center uh, after PACEO that, that was opened uh, since I've come on board. Uh, we now have a board of nine members. Uh, in North Carolina, many of them in the community, uh, economic development leaders. Um, you know, North Carolina is an interesting state in that they they don't necessarily have uh, that big ESOP group at this point. And so, you know, one of the things I may not have mentioned is employee ownership expansion is all forms of employee ownership. Uh, it's not just ESOPs. And so, in North Carolina right now, we're seeing a lot of work uh, with the city of Durham, who's involved, and they want to make sure that businesses don't leave the city. Now, some of those businesses aren't big enough to be ESOPs, and so they're looking 
looking at the worker co-op model. Um, but North Carolina, we have monthly board meetings and things are going really well. Uh, they're help trying to get their fundraising up so they can hire a full-time executive director. Right now they have a part-time executive director, but there's some great things happening. And Claire Broughton. And Claire Broughton, yep. She, uh, and that group was just at an SBA uh, meeting, a bunch of SBA lenders and SBDC employees and talking to them about employee ownership. So some great things going on in North Carolina. And, and the reason I smile is because if I think about Pennsylvania and the great things that Kevin is doing and just what's happening with the buzz of employee ownership and I think to the future of EOX and the state centers imagine that happening you know I can see what's happening very early on in North Carolina and you know we get to 10 15 of these states and have this happen uh, it's just it's going to be an amazing thing that can amazing swell of, of information and change that I think can happen. Steve let me do a uh, segue or a tangent perhaps but I think it's kind of important and I think a lot of times the ESOP world focuses on the ESOP world, and folks, it is understandable, but the fact of the matter is I have in the last six months been focused on the ESOP as the part of the broader employee ownership, the space. And the SBA was supposed to loosen their standards last year as part of the Main Street America Act to encourage... Um, loans that would create employee ownership, but the reality is there's a disparity for co-ops, collectives, and that sort of thing. And that's one example where, again, for me, if the markets are right for employee ownership, whether collectives, co-ops, or ESOPs, is that why it's important that, that you folks are working with the SBA to try and Expand for everybody? I th- it, it, we're trying to expand for everybody, and it's a good point that, you know, I, I'm 26 years in the business, and I had never heard of a worker co-op. I mean, I didn't know what a co-op was from my days living in rural Minnesota and, you know, having those those kinds of co-ops with, you know, the ga- natural gas and, you know, things my grandfather was belonging to as a farmer and things like that but the the worker co-op world was brand new to me and it's such an amazing vehicle for businesses that don't meet the size and 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 dollar requirements for an ESOP and so I've been really uh, I've had a really good time learning more about worker co-ops and how that can fit into the EO world because you know the city of Durham for example uh, is very interested in this as I said um but some of the businesses that they're looking at would never qualify. And so if the only thing we had was an ESOP, uh, you know, this employee ownership movement necess- wouldn't necessarily uh, go that far. The other thing that I'll say about worker co-ops is um, coming from the ESOP side, we just don't realize the things that are happening in the nonprofit world and the organizations that are already out there doing grassroots. For example, uh, the Democracy at Work Institute. I'd never heard of Dowie before. And when you look at Dowie and work with them, they're doing amazing things. They're getting funding from some foundations to keep businesses, small businesses and communities. So it's, you know, I went into this with the ESOP background thinking we could change the world with employee ownership. And I'm so uh, enthused about what else is out there that can help me. So when we spun off the media properties and formed the Keysop Group in June of 2019. I rather, with hubris, said I'm going to change the name of the podcast from the Esop Podcast to the EO Podcast. And Steve, like you, I didn't have quite your longevity, but I've been employee ownership in for 12 years. And let's say there are some who consider me to be an expert in the Esop space. And I'm amazed how much I don't know the organizations, what you just said. And it's not just the big ones in the EO space, but statewide at the grassroots level and in the major cities, there are so many really cool things going on. 
I was at the Aspen Institute recently in Washington, D.C. that had an Opportunity in America uh, day where it talked about inclusivity and, and the gender issues we had talked about in the workplace. And that's why I think it's really important that there are organizations like EOX that are acknowledging it's all part of it, particularly in light of, as you make the point, in all my years as an ESOP trustee, a startup cannot be an ESOP, definitionally. can't happen. But it could be a co-op, a collective, or that sort of thing. Correct. And, and you know, the, the worker co-op, uh, imagine being a business owner who's getting close to retirement, and all you can think about is these employees who have helped you get to where you are. You may have started your business in the basement in your garage. Uh, maybe your dad started it. But it's time for you to take this baby, almost a child, and, and do something with it. Turn it over to somebody, and you go to... Uh, a conference and you don't want to sell it to private equity you don't want it to go uh, the way of that nothing wrong with that if you do i mean some people that that's the, the succession planning and there's nothing wrong with that but imagine if you go somewhere and it's, someone tells you that there's this esop but it you it won't work for you you're too small what what, what do you do at that point we, i mean i was in that position when i would do esop 101 with customers and i i talk about maybe you know a stock incentive plans or you know equity how how can we get our managers involved there's some you know things we could do but that transfer of ownership um, it's been so nice to learn about the worker co-op and in that side of the business that um, it just as the card says expansion of employee ownership it's not just esops now granted one ESOP with 75 people is equal to probably six or seven co-ops. But that doesn't mean that as an organization we're going to focus entirely on the bigger companies. We have to focus on employee ownership across the board. Well, and I've spent a lot of time paying attention to advocacy for employee ownership. And it strikes me that, first of all, we do not have the political strength at all that we should in light of the fact that there are 17 million ESOP employee owners alone with all of that. To me, if we broaden it and look for everybody in the employee ownership space and we're reaching out together to our elected officials, one of the things, and I'm sure EOX is in this or will be in this more in the state level, we should be a movement with strong political clout employee ownership, much like ARP is for the senior citizens, quite frankly. We have millions and millions of us, and there's a lot more good we could do if we found a way to work together. There definitely is. And, you know, from EOX's standpoint, uh, I think that the type of advocacy that we're going to do is going to follow kind of the same exact path that Kevin McPhillips has in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, as a 501c3, we, we, as our independent, our state centers will be independent, nonprofit, 501c3, um, and we have to stay away from that advocacy. I mean, the ESOP Association has the designation as an advocacy group, and they and they have the 501c6, and, and then that's what they're meant to do. And they do an excellent job they at They definitely that. do. Absolutely. And so I think where we're coming from is, is exactly what's happening in Pennsylvania. The city of Pittsburgh and the city of Philadelphia, I think it's Pittsburgh at this point, um, you know, seeing what's happening with this employee ownership movement, seeing this this state center for employee ownership, and coming to them saying, "Can you help us?" Um, I, I think there's some political movement that we could do, but I think it's more about them seeing the movement and letting them get involved, because what they're really after is, in the, at least at the at the municipal level, is making sure that businesses don't leave. I mean, right. That that the wealth transfer happens. 
but that they just don't leave. The city of Pittsburgh can't have all these baby boomer uh, businesses leave. And so, so I, think, I think the advocacy will happen uh, from my standpoint at the UX level that it'll happen on its own without us really having to go outside of our mission, which is to run state centers. It's going to happen. It, it can't help but happen. It certainly is okay if it's outside of your mission that others, you know, are left to do that part of exactly. it. Exactly. So let me ask this. We've talked about uh, PA CEO being the model. Now we've got North Carolina that's opened up. I know that you've referenced 70% of the population have coverage. How many states would that be? You know, I'd be if, if we don't get Texas, it's a lot more states. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair enough. So, so you know, when, when I was uh, when I came on board that first week, uh, you know, the, the task force uh, had done a great job in identifying how they were going to get to that seventy percent number, uh, and so I had kind of my marching orders. This is what it looks like. Uh, I think when I look at the number, it was somewhere around an additional twelve to fifteen states that would get us there, uh, with a focus on a couple of things. They had done so much work inside that task force and had had put out their feelers for people and had had conf- you know at the NCEO conference they had a couple sessions, I think two years in a row on state centers and when people found out that there was this organization, the roadmap that I had kind of went out the window because my phone just started ringing and my email started coming, um, and I currently have as of yesterday when I added yet another state here at the conference, uh, we now have 15 states who have contacted me with an ambassador or two uh, who have said I'm either a service provider in the ESOP space or I am an employee-owned company, Uh, I'm a former selling shareholder. Someone who's passionate about employee ownership like you and I are have said we should try to open a state center. So we have 15 of those states now as of yesterday. Uh, Of those 15, six of them are in live conversations and have gone down the path fairly fairly far. we have North Carolina having been opened. Uh, Georgia we can almost consider as being opened. Uh, EOX has funded that state center now as of, uh, or will be funding that state center soon. Um, and then right behind that is Minnesota. So between North Carolina and Georgia and Minnesota, I'm hopeful that by December 31st we'll have those three state centers as being officially open. Well, that's congratulations. Um, First of all, just, thank just you. that Appreciate is a good start. Not a bad year, sir. Not a bad year. Uh, and when I say open, what I mean by that is we've, we've got a board of directors seated. We have a group of service providers and advisory committee trying to help us broaden that network, do some fundraising. Uh, we're not fully up and running. We don't have a Kevin. We don't have a Kevin McPhillips who's doing amazing things yet as an executive director. But in, like we said, North Carolina is a part-time executive director. We may do the same thing in Georgia. We're trying to. Ultimately, we want this to be a full-time position of education and outreach across the state. But when they're, what, what I mean by is being open is we have the organization. We've filed our articles, bylaws. We've filed for 501c3. I mean, we're an actual organization. Um, and then after that, what we're looking at right now, at least initially, uh, we've had activity in Florida, really good activity in Florida. We have activity in Michigan and then activity in Tennessee. Uh, just this morning, I met with a group in Tennessee, a group here at the conference, uh, nine people, again, from Tennessee. That's our third meeting. So I'm hopeful by June 30th that we'll have six state centers as officially open. Again, not all of them fully operational but that the organizations have been created uh, in those six states. And uh, that, that and if I was honest on January 1st, if I thought I could do that, I don't know if I could have. And I say I, uh, it's not me. It is a team. Absolutely. It is a team for sure. Absolutely. And not only, by the way, is it a team with the OX, and if you want to share about your board and, you know, the, the markup, but it's also a team within each state and the ambassador. So there's right. there, there, there is the overall EOX team, and then there's a lot of sub-teams 
Sub teams is a great way to put it. I mean, when you find, uh, you know, you start in Georgia with two people uh, who call and say, we should talk about this, you know, that happened in January or in February. Uh, call and talk to Tom Strong in, in, in Atlanta, who brings in uh, a couple other people. Uh, and next thing you know, we're branching out to, you know, we have 33 people attend our first meeting of organizational, what this thing is about, and have a second one. I mean, so it's truly these sub-teams across the country, uh, and it'll be so fun to see how these, how these end up operating because I do truly believe uh, that we can have a lot of PA CEOs across the country, and, and it would be amazing to see. And I imagine, although there's a blueprint coming out of PACEO, you also have the agility to be state-specific, and if, if one state has particular needs or particular opportunities, you can adjust accordingly. That's a great point. Uh, and I tell people this all the time. North Carolina and Georgia came on board about the same time, uh, completely different state centers. Uh, North Carolina, as I mentioned, uh, is really focused inside of the uh, I'm not going to say state government, but like I've mentioned the city of Durham, Raleigh, Durham, uh, they've done great things in trying to help out uh, some economic development people. A law professor are, is you know, on the board. The, the board of that organization looks completely different than the board and the advisory committee in Georgia, which is a lot of ESOP service providers. And we don't want to be restrictive on what, what each state center does. They're independent. We just help create them. But each one of those states and the people that live in that state and have worked there forever, they know what that state needs. And it's worked great to be able to give them the tools to start the organization. But what they do with that organization, uh, where they focus their time, uh, you know, we, we, we don't put any restrictions on that. The only restriction we really put on our state centers as we open them is that we do have a lane. That lane is education and outreach in the state center or in the state. And then once that education outreach happens, if we have a prospective business that needs some resources, then to be a hub for those resources, whether that be an evaluation firm, uh, an ESOP attorney, a worker co-op conversion specialist, you know, whatever that business needs, we, we're the hub for that. What we are not is we're not a membership organization. We're not going to hold uh, conferences for employee-owned companies. Uh, we have our lane. Other organizations like NCEO and ESOP Association have their lanes, uh, and we're just not here to be in those lanes. We're, we're here for education and outreach. And I think that's one maybe big distinction about other state centers from the EOX state centers. And, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, the Ohio Center, uh, Roy Messing in Ohio has done amazing things. Absolutely. Uh, and still does. It's just that with the EOX model, we're trying to stay focused on education and outreach, which Roy does a ton of. Uh, he, I found out the other day, he works with the USDA, with the, he has a grant from them doing amazing thing in rural communities. So um, it, it's a great movement. It's just that we have kind of what we want to do with our state centers, and then once we get them up and running, if they needed to focus more on worker co-ops and ESOP, go for it. If someone wanted to reach out to you as an ambassador in a state maybe you're not talking to, or it's a state that you're moving towards getting online, what are your expectations or hope for somebody if they want to become a passionate advocate in their state, what are you hoping from them in addition to what you'll provide? You know, a good example is uh, I think you connected me just by listening to your podcast uh, to Jennifer Krieger uh, in Texas. And uh, Jen is my ambassador uh, in Texas. And, and what we've done with her, and this is very new, this is within the last two weeks, you know, what, what she's helped us do is to identify, because she is in Texas, who else could help with this movement. I, I could go to Texas and, and just start knocking on doors and calling on a valuation firm or calling on uh, you 
know, a, a law firm or something, but she has those connections. And the expectation we have in, as an of an ambassador is to simply open that network for us, gather those names, gather those other ambassadors to see if this is a state that can make this work. Uh, and then from there, they don't necessarily have to stay on board, but a lot of those ambassadors have so much passion that they're not going to go away. They want to lead the advisory committee. They want to keep doing these kinds of things. But it's not anything that needs to be done. EOX is equipped with enough resources. Uh, we're certainly trying to get more, but resources now that we can take that lead. We don't need them to do the lead. We just need them to help us get in the door. If there were a phrase like friend of the podcast, I think Jen Krieger would about be one of our best <laughs> friends at the moment. She's absolutely wonderful. And I do want to, this allows me to bring up a, a point. Jen has been on the podcast a number of times now this fall. Her first appearance was giving an update from the NCEO conference in Salt Lake City. Meanwhile, she has been very active. I think the Las Vegas conference, which is where you and I are recording this, is her third or fourth ESOP Association conference in the last few months. And working with you and being an ambassador and Weaver being an ambassador, it's not a matter of choosing sides. It's a matter of if we're going to grow, we can all do what we've been doing for a long time, which is go on the conference circuit and wait your turn and try and get traction, which you did as a TPA and I did as a trustee. Right. Or you can look for new alternatives. So I love the fact that Jen is working with you and Weaver is working with you but also because it shows that they're supporting everybody. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And a lot of the ambassadors that I'm working with, um, you know, I, like I said, uh, with my background, and, you know, we are all in this together. We're trying to grow employee ownership no matter what organization we're with. And many of my ambassadors, maybe all of them, uh, are involved in all the organizations. Uh, many of my ambassadors are current or former chair, uh, chapter officers or NCO board members. I mean, we're all here, and, and, and I think where the ambassadors see is that there's this lane um, that hasn't been empty, don't get me wrong. The, the, the lane of a growing employee ownership has not been empty. But there is room for us to have this organization who strictly focuses on growth of employee ownership, that there is no other mission other than opening state centers. And when some of those ambassadors hear that, they really, because they're doing it as in their practices, they're doing it as practitioners. We just, as practitioners in a f recovering TPA, I never had enough time to go out and do my own seminar. It was always a seminar for one of my bankers who had three clients and that I was talking to. And I don't know that those clients ever thought that I wasn't trying to sell them something, even though I wasn't. I was just there as an employee, you know, uh, passionate about employee ownership. I still think they felt like maybe there was a sales tool in there somewhere. They just couldn't see it. And next time they talked to me, the sales pitch would come out, which was not the truth. And you were in the same mode, I'm sure. Um, but I think the state center movement can be this unbiased group that says we're just simply here to present the idea of employee ownership. And we know it doesn't fit for everybody. Uh, but we are willing to take the time to sit with everybody and anybody to talk about it. Excellent points. And just as a very practical matter, and again, you and I both had to grow businesses in the field in employee ownership, and it takes time, and that's okay. You pay your dues and, and that sort of thing, but we've been all been there. One of the challenges, and this is not a criticism of any of the organizations, but one of the challenges is if you're what I've been calling emerging professionals on podcasts, it takes a while to get some of the prime speaking slots or some of the uh, making headway to where you can be in a position of leadership in the major organizations 
because there's already so many talented leaders there. Right, right. Whereas somebody who who wants to come on board and have a meaningful impact on growing employee ownership, you can actually get a an important role with an EOX state center and show leadership, help grow the sandbox, as I like to say, and still be fully supportive of the organizations as well. Exactly right. Exactly right. Very cool. Anything else, Steve, that you would like to, to share, or what can the podcast do to uh, help support your efforts? You know, I don't know that there's anything more. You're doing great things with, uh, you know, being an, an employee ownership advocate and, and, and doing all of these, you know, recordings and, and telling people what all everybody's doing in the industry uh, from the EOX. So we appreciate that. And from the EOX standpoint, uh, as you said, if, if anybody's listening to this uh, and, and this is something that is resonates with them, um, we may or may not have an ambassador in their state. So, you know, certainly reach out to me and uh, I can tell you whether we have an ambassador. And if we do, we'll add you to the list. And uh, I have I hopefully get the map on our website, eoxnetwork.org. Uh, hopefully get the map of the states that we're working in here very soon. It's taken off so quickly. I haven't had time to do that, but hey. hope to get that up there. But otherwise, just get in contact with me. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe somebody from uh, New Mexico is listening to this. And uh, I don't know why I picked New Mexico, but I know only because I know I don't have a state center started there but you know you never know um i heard like i said i heard your podcast about what jen in texas happened so uh yesterday iowa happened and so uh you just never know where it's going to come to well and the ambassadorships by uh, all means are just a start in the process right so we do want to make clear if there are other ambassadors or in texas or other folks in texas For sure. first of all you would like more people involved and so would Jen Krieger or Weaver. For you know, sure. She's not looking to carry this burden. And that's kind of the joyful approach of, of let's grow the community together. So, Steve, let me just, if I've got this straight in my head so that our listeners would have it. First of all, if you don't have a state center and folks want to reach out to you, and our, our podcast show notes will have your contact information as well and, and et cetera. They can reach out to you if there isn't a state center or it's one of the states that you're talking about. But if they're a company or a professional advisor, but an employee-owned company in North Carolina, Georgia, they're already operating, those folks should reach out to you as well, or you'll put them in touch with the state folks there. In other words, there are different people who can reach out to you at different times for different purposes. Exactly. And, you know, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did miss an entire part of a state center. Uh, I'm so focused on the opening of the state centers. Um, but when the state center is open, one of the one of the key things that we're trying to bring to the table is that we do need uh, employee-owned companies to tell their story. I think uh, so many times practitioners, uh, we've tried to create employee ownership and done a very good job of it, but we have the technical piece. And we can relate to stories that we have of our clients, but it's so much more powerful to have the customer, the actual employee-owned companies, whether that's the founding the selling shareholder, the CEO, CFO, HR director, or just an employee who's passionate about it, who can tell their story about this is what it looks like from my standpoint. Uh, those are we, we need those volunteers when the state centers are up and running. And so it's not, you know, I talked about practitioners and other organizations. Uh, we need just as many employee-owned companies to tell their story as we go around the state of, let's say, Minnesota, if I can get 10, 15 employee-owned companies in Minnesota that are willing to, you know, if I need to go to northern Minnesota, I can call on them and say, hey, I'm headed your way, or my executive director is headed your way. Uh, we'd love for you to tell your story. And when I get that word out, it, it 
as you probably can guess, there, there's a lot of employee-owned companies that want to tell their story. And so um, I'm happy to take those phone calls, too. We may not be at that point in every state, but I'll put you on the list, and you can guarantee we'll, we'll, we'll be calling on you. So. And I would say that if you uh, call up Steve and say, hey, we'd like to tell our story through the state center, perhaps you'd be kind enough to say, and also on the podcast, if they heard about it on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. But no, that's exactly right. And one of the things that I love, Steve, is regardless of the organizations, regardless of either, you know, I'm kind of a free agent uh, just trying to promote employee ownership, but we're all doing and promoting the same thing. And, and the tools are the same for all of us. We want people to tell their stories. We want people to share why it's important. To me, employee ownership, one of my big things is The average employee owner doesn't want anything different than what you and I want in our jobs. We want to be appreciated. We want to feel like we're participating in something important, you know, or that has meaning. And we want to be reasonably compensated for our efforts, you know, to be part of a team. So those are the stories that employee ownership seems to make those items happen more often. And that's why it's important that we share the stories. Definitely, definitely. And and to have a selling shareholder uh, or more than one that owns a company, to be able to know that they can walk away uh, from the company that they've taken care of for so long, you know, that like a, the example I gave of kind of handing off that child, um, to tell that story may not resonate with every business owner, um, but the ones that it does resonate with, um, it's going to resonate through the stories not through me telling them what a 1042 transaction is about. Uh, now, there are some business owners who 1042 transaction is exactly what they want to hear, but we have to find the balance of, of that story versus the tax benefits or any sort of other things that are not associated with the story. We need to lead with both of those, uh, but I think in the end, the story is what grasps people. Steve, I think you just gave us a great point to bring this uh, conversation to a close. I really want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and uh, keep up the great work. You too, and and open-ended in all sincerity, anything at all that the Keysop Group or the podcast can do to support your efforts. And I'm going to say to you what I've said to a lot of people, please come back on. Keep us folk, you know, keep us informed so that we can keep everybody else informed. But my goal, five, ten years, Steve, we're going to be uh, looking back, you and I, with some others in the field and saying, we grew some employee ownership. That's a pretty cool place to be. It'd be a pretty cool place, yep. All right, thanks for your time, my friend. Thanks, Brad. Right, bye-bye. The views expressed here are my own and don't represent those of my own firms or the organizations to which I belong. Nothing in the podcast should be construed as guidance or advice of any kind in any field. And the fact that I mention an organizational website or an advocate or a company on a podcast does not reflect an endorsement. But if you've heard your name or your group's name mentioned on this podcast, I'd love to have you come on and talk about it yourself. We'd love to hear from you. To contact us, find us on Facebook at Kesop LLC. To reach Brett with one T, email brett at keysop.com, on LinkedIn at Brett Keesling, and most actively on Twitter at EO underscore Brett. Again, that's one T. This podcast has been produced by the Keysop Group. Technical assistance provided by Third Circle Inc. and Bitsy Plus Design. Original music composed by Max Keesling. Archival podcast material edited and produced by Brian Keesling. And I'm Bitsy McCann. My name is Brett Keesling. Thanks for listening.